Hi, I'm Brian Hart. I'm Karen Holman. And you're listening to Cool Sheets. In the coming half hour, you'll hear all about 10 things that we're currently enjoying and using in our lives. Each of us has exactly two minutes to dive in and tell you about one of the things we've chosen. It might be a book, an app, a gadget, a place, anything goes. At the end of our two minutes, boom, time's up and we go back and forth until we've shared 10 cool sheets with you. Cool Sheets is all about fun, interesting, and or useful things to enhance your life. We broadcast from our studios in Salem, Oregon on KMUZ Turner, 885 and 100.7 FM or streaming online at kmuz.org every Sunday from 9 to 9.30 a.m. Our website, coolsheets.cool, yes, that's coolsheets.cool, has info about all the cool sheets that we list every week if you want to find out more details about them. You can also interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Here we go with this week's Cool Sheets. Hello, everyone. I'm Karen Holman. And I'm... A soggy Brian Hart. <laughs> Quite a rainy morning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was kind of kind of refreshing. There's also a triathlon happening, so that when I was going this way, a bunch of bikers were going this way, and I was trying not to make them angry. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, you could have joined in. Funny for me, and probably not for them when they're trying to do a personal best and. Here I am. Oh, right. I almost, to one of the volunteers that looked at me, I was like, am I going the wrong way or something? This feels weird. (laughs) Pretend like I was in the race. Yes. But I decided not to rock the boat and just try to scamper out of the way. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. And you were kind of you were kind of riding and swimming at the same time, right? Yeah, exactly. I did two of the three Did they allow that? I don't think so. Your time could be so much better if they did. Okay. All right. Well, you made it. I made it. Yes, I made it. And we're going to get rolling. I get to go first this week. And this was kind of interesting because I had, um, I don't even know when, a few weeks ago, um, talked about a different wheel, the wheel of life. And then I came upon this other wheel that's also super cool. And it is called the wheel of emotions. So this is a psychological tool. And the reason for doing this, and this is from um, psychologist Robert Plutchett, who invented this wheel, is that he wanted to distill all of our emotions down into eight basic ones to help with understanding of them, but then also realizing that you can have complex combinations of these. But the the reason for even having this and doing it and meditating on it is it is quite lovely how, how they made it look. And what you can also use it as a tool is that you can look into these ideas of, for example, um, and I should just give what they all are, joy, trust, fear, surprise, sadness, anticipation, anger, and disgust. And so when you have, for example, you bring in joy and trust together, then you get a more complex emotion that is love. Or on the other side, um, if you have sadness and disgust and those combine together and then you have remorse. And so all of this, um, the, the reason why people use this as a tool and the way that you can use it is to essentially understand how you are feeling better and to be able to put a name on it. And what has been found is that there is a lower chance that you will suppress these emotions 
if you don't recognize them. And by putting names to them, they have found that people are much more able to recognize them and to see them and then to be able to face them and sort through them and deal with them. So this Pletchett's Wheel of Emotions um, used in psychology and really used by anyone, they make it really straightforward in how to interpret it. Uh, Wheel of Emotions. That is cool. And it is pretty. It looks like a flower. I like how the little wheels always kind of look like flowers or what is that? Those little shapes that I used to make when I was a kid. The Oh, I don't know the little spirally with the spiral thingies. thing yeah. that you have. Yeah, that thing. Oh the gosh, thing. I can't the remember what it's called either. Thing. But I do remember there being a huge one at Omsi when oh, I was little. Yeah. I don't think it exists anymore, but it Darn was it. massive. Yeah, that always kind of fascinated me as a child. I would play with those <laughs> and draw different shapes, kind of like yeah. kaleidoscope patterns and things. But it is called something that we can't remember. I know. <laughs> Both of us. Usually one of us can bail the other one out. But, nope, uh, not this time. <laughs> no. All right. Um, okay. My f- – oh, I was going to say something else too. Oh, I guess the, the – you know, putting a name to it, kind of the awareness is the first step. Mm, That's, yes. I like that. So yes. Very helpful. I'll have to check it out. All right, my first cool sheet is an Instagram account, and this is uh, one that was a little surprising to me. It's the New York Public Library. So they did this really cool – they have this really cool Instagram account, and they do a lot of things like – the history of New York, like on this day, this happened, or literary, like books that, you know, what happened on this day of a writer or a story or all of the things that you would expect. Uh, they also talk about art and theater and other culture things. So it's not just limited to books, uh, which I like, but kind of the arts. Uh, and then it. My favorite thing that they've done, though, is called Insta Novels. So they started producing full animated uh, versions of stories and putting them on Instagram stories. And so they would be really, really long. And it seems like it wouldn't work because Instagram is all about instantaneous and stories disappear. (laughs) But, you know, if you hold the picture, you could read the full page. So it had sometimes full pages of text, but it also has animated characters doing things within the book. It tells you, like Alice in Wonderland, they have, you know, Alice going through the hole and a little keyhole for the next page and different things and fun things you can do. But they they just kind of did this as an experiment, as an experiment, and they found out that not only did everybody love it, but kids started reading, which, of course, is the goal of any library. And now you can have it on their kind of little TV section or whatever it's called on Instagram. So they're permanent. They don't go away. You can listen to all these stories. There's there's five or six right now, I think, poems as well. It's super cool. A fascinating idea using Instagram, the New York Public Library. <laughs> That is so cool that they did that. I am glad they took the risk because something like that and they are so predominant and, you know, that's a big organization. And then they're like, let's try this thing. And it totally worked. That is a success story. I love it. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's not just for kids. I enjoyed it. I Uh haven't read a full book that way, but it was very cool. 
Yeah. I want to look at that because I'm I'm kind of getting what you're saying, but I can't fully imagine how it works. Yeah, so it's really try. hard to describe over radio for sure. Mm-hmm. And I could show you, but then no one yeah. else can see it. <laughs> but go to our website, click on the show notes, and you can check it out. You That's and all right. those listeners, our lovely listeners. Yes. Coolsheets.cool. Yeah. The coolest website. The coolest of ever. the cools. <laughs> the coolest of the dot cools, anyway. Or maybe not. I don't know. We should see who else does dot cool. Yeah, is there any, are we the only one on the dot cool land? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they gave that as an option. And they're like, we should take away that option. But there is this one There's website this that one website it. that has a couple <laughs> clicks every so often. <laughs> Probably by us. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I do. I'll search our yeah. own website to see. Has right. this one been done before? Did I do this one before? Did I do this last week? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> Jeez. All right. Uh, my next cool sheet. Um, so I've got – this is an article, but it's really – it's a journal article. This is a, a journal publication, but then because of the topic, it has gotten republished in all sorts of other magazines. So it originally appeared in 2018 in Nature Her- sorry Nature Human Behavior. This is a very um, highly respected journal in psychology, and the study was done at Purdue University. And so what they did is they did this massive large analysis by getting information from Gallup polls, and they looked at responses from 1.7 million people. From 164 countries. So this is pretty massive. And what their goal was, was to put essentially put a price on optimal well-being, emotional well-being. And so this is essentially, this ties in with my previous cool sheet about emotions, but emotional well-being. Um, so they were looking at people's day-to-day emotions, how they were doing, and, um, you know, and they were essentially going back to the wheel and choosing words from that where people were um, evaluating day-to-day how they were feeling, and they were tying this in with what their income was. And so what they tried to do is from country to country, make sure that they were keeping it level across the board, depending on cost of living and all that kind of stuff. And they essentially um, honed it down into a, um, a income bracket where people were the happiest. And they found it to be between 60000 and $75,000 a year. Those are in U.S. dollars for Americans. And then it changes country to country. Um, And they were really interested in this result um, because essentially as you went over 75 and got into the 100,000 and beyond, your emotional well-being went down. And so they had reasons for that, interpretations and all of why that is. Um, But you have to read their article. So this is about emotional well-being and you don't have to be a millionaire. Wow. All right. That's interesting. Yeah, and it actually ties in with one of my very, very, very first cool sheets, a book called Your Money or Your Life. And yeah, that I was I remember I just looked at that not too long really ago. Really yeah. interesting. Because well, of this episode, so it's funny. Oh, that is funny. Well, what they were saying in that book and without a 1.7 million person study is they were saying essentially the same thing. Oh, that you you, that they recommend making just enough Mm -hmm. plus a little bit more Mm -hmm. um, and then you're done. Like you don't need to make more than that. Do do you happen to know 
because I always the one thing about that oh this range I guess they do give you a range but that there's also cost of living I mean sixty thousand dollars in San Francisco and you probably don't live in a house you yeah know? yeah versus. $60,000 in wherever Ohio or wherever the cheapest place in the United yes. States to live, you would be super well off or be able to have, you know, a five bedroom house or something. So that's always interesting to me that they do a, a number figure versus breaking it down a little differently. And maybe they do yeah. when you look at it closer. But I I think so. That's and, always interesting to yeah. me that it's just like, again, oh, make this much money and you'll be happy. Yeah. It's, it's kind of... Well, so my uh, guess what they do, and they are, these are legit scientists, yeah. so that this was based on the average for the United States. Right. So then if you take, so each city you go to, it has some sort of, um, you have to adjust. Yeah. So probably if you took that average and adjusted it up, what you would need for San Francisco, like San Francisco is, I don't know what it is, 1.7 times the national right. average or something. Yeah. Yeah. And See, then, then you got to start doing math. And, I know. <laughs> I know, because it might involve <laughs> multiplication. Ah, forget it. <laughs> I don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> You're just saying words. I don't know. Is that one of those words is in a different language? Yes, it doesn't, doesn't exist trans- in English. Yeah, this all seems weird to me right now. I just made that up. <laughs> I, yeah, I think my brain got a little soggy on the way here. <laughs> okay, uh, my next cool sheet is a newsletter, and I don't talk about newsletters all that often. But I really like this one, and I have 80 or 100 subscriptions these days, so I don't know why. I don't. They're, they're my secret weapons for more cool sheets. But this one, the newsletter is the cool sheet, and it's called What's the Difference? I get it once a week. And they do have a website as well, uh, whatsthediff.org, which I love. And it uh, it's a website created by Brett Warshaw. Uh, she worked with companies such as Romana, Open Table, Lightly, Food Fifty Two, Open Society. Uh, she's chief operating officer of a uh, the late cult food magazine, Lucky Peach. I'm kind of disappointed that that doesn't exist anymore because it's a great name. She also studied history and creative writing at the University of Pennsylvania and wrote her thesis on Jello marketing in the Great Depression. I really like this gal, <laughs> so cool. And her newsletter and her website's great too. So she sends you a super short newsletter, or like I said, you can browse on the internet on her website, and it'll give you what's the difference between cornmeal, grits, and polenta? What's the difference between a rainforest and a jungle? And this is a newsletter per, so it's just one section, you know, one what's the difference per week. And what's the difference between heirloom, beefsteak, plum, grape, and cherry tomatoes? They do one on eggs, which you did, which is very cool. I'd like to – I didn't see if she was right on those, but I do check on the produce ones because I used to work in the produce department. So the ones about what's the difference between a yam and a sweet potato, she was dead on. A lot of the time she brings in experts, but a lot of people do not know the difference of yams and sweet potatoes. They think they do, and they're totally wrong. So check that one out for sure. Uh, Other ones, pickling, brining, marinating, curing. Very cool stuff. It's something, like I said, that just happens once a week. What I like about the newsletter is that you will get it once a week versus forget to go to the website and check it out. So that's kind of why I like newsletters. Check out What's the Difference. Ooh, that's cool. 
I think I ran across something about sweet potatoes and yams, and they're like a different species or something. I mean, they're a different yeah. family or whatever, surprisingly. Yeah, 90, I don't know, 90 to 98% of the time, all the yams that you get at the grocery store that are labeled yams at mm-hmm. the science of yams here and sweet potatoes here are not yams. They're sweet potatoes. Oh, my gosh. Yams are insanely rare, almost impossible to get in the United States. They only grow in one region in one place. And they just, to simplify the matter, the ones with the orange skin, they call yams, even though they're sweet potatoes. And the ones with the yellow skin, they call sweet potatoes, even though they're sweet potatoes. That's hilarious. Also, yeah. And in the South, they usually call them sweet potatoes, all of them, even yams. Mm -hmm. But for some reason over here, we call them yams. We added, they had to be different. It's really weird. (laughs) It's super confusing. But most of the time, yams are actually just a different variety of sweet potato. Sweet potato. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because in the end, it doesn't really matter what it's called. You know, it's like, oh, I like the orange one. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Yeah. It is weird, though, that we had to make a a different name. (laughs) We couldn't have a different variety when, if you look at tomatoes, you know, we got that one. Yes, We figured that out. Maybe we don't know the difference between an heirloom and a beefsteak. But at least there's different. We didn't call it like a carrot. Yes, right. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's wild, man. Yeah. Yams. Yam. A yam. (laughs) Okay, I won't get into puns. I was was holding back on saying that. You just, it's just so tempting. It's right there. It's right there. All right. Now I want a yam. Okay. I'm going to next talk about a nonprofit. And this is super cool. It's called the Snapshots Foundation. And they are a music and arts foundation. And so their mission is to go out and provide arts access to students and the public. And they want to document uh, biographical history, musical performances of a lot of today's great artists, um, doing it through film, doing it through interviews, um, documentaries, um, and, and also performances. And um, and then take this and make it, again, available through libraries, nationally, through the Internet, community showings, and just essentially building a whole new platform that will support musical arts. And so this is um, this is super cool because, you know, the Smithsonian and there's um, the Library of Congress. There is already um, a huge number of where they've tried to document, you know, like for example, Delta Blues artists or something like that. And so that that doesn't ever go away. And so the where the Snapshots Foundation comes in is that they realize if they aren't purposefully getting these interviews and documentaries and putting them together now that later in the future, people will then go back and try to do that, like historically speaking. So they're trying to sort of uh, look forward to the historians in the future and what they will want and then say, hey, check it out. We provided this for you. 
Plus, they are in real time. They want to make life more rich for kids, for people who are going to libraries and trying to look up this information about these composers or about the history of Tower Records and and records in general and um, just anything that has to do with music or the arts. So very cool foundation, the snapshots. All right. Very cool. Thank you. Yes. Things like this, of course, me being a musician, they just come up. But then when they come up and they're like, oh, a lot of people might be interested in this. It's not super niche. Yeah. Yeah, no. It it becomes a cool sheet. I'm going to check it out myself. Awesome. All right. My next cool sheet is a YouTube channel, and it is called Blank on Blank. I love that name. Uh, now, the bad news is they – I think they're done. They haven't had a video in two years. <laughs> so it's weird that I'm talking about this. But the good news is, and this is what I'm talking about, there's 102 videos. So there's plenty to watch. If you haven't heard of it, you can definitely dive in and 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 watch it for quite a while before it runs out. And it is worth checking out. So their description is Famous Names, Lost Interviews, New Animated Shorts. This is a part of the PBS Digital Studios. Uh, The executive producer is David Gerlach and the animator director Patrick Smith. Audio producer by Amy Drozdowska. And you can also go to their website, blankonblank.org. So they are a nonprofit also. Each video is only four to six minutes long, which I love. So again, it's just nice and short. It's a when you have a, just a little moment when you're supposed to be working and you just got to have a little four-minute break, this is perfect. Like I said, the animation is very interesting. It's kind of that little like cardboard cutout, kind of choppy animation sometimes. And it's not like Disney you know, style, but I think that has a really uh, pleasing style to it in itself. But these videos, like I said, are mostly famous people usually either lost footage or they've just discovered it. And it's little bits of the interview. They have Neil Young on paganism. So it's always about one subject because it's short. So Kirk Cobain on on identity, Jim Morrison on why fat is beautiful, Tupac Shakur on life and death, David Foster Wallace on ambition, John Lennon and Yoko Ono on love. Hunter S. Thompson on Outlaws. So you can see that a lot of people of these people are also passed away. They do have Stephen King on Childhood and other ones to check out. And then they show you where to find the full interview sometimes, which is really cool. Definitely check out Blank on Blank. That's awesome. I want to look check that out. Um, so what did the, so what do they mean blank on blank like where does that I I don't I missed I, it's why it's, it's like John Lennon on, on whatever love. gotcha okay yeah. sorry nope it's early <laughs> <laughs> we're recording this early on a Sunday morning that's my yeah excuse. is it it seems earlier <laughs> is that clock wrong is it really five you know, twenty four right now it's timeless <laughs> and anyone listening to this podcast it is timeless yes. you know who cares what time it is so. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds great. I think you'd really dig it. Yeah. There's a lot of musicians in there. Cool. <laughs> Not that you just like musicians, I, I, but, nah. you know. Hunter S. Thompson, that would be cool. Yeah. On Outlaws. Yes. <laughs> Perfect for That you. guy. Oh, man, that's awesome. All right, cool. I'm going to talk next about an article 
And this article is on all sorts of types of love, conditional love, unconditional love, wholehearted love, love without boundaries, and all these things. And um, it's I think it's really helpful for anyone to read through this because you will be surprised. You know, we all have people in our lives that we love, we have relationships with, and we can never say that all of our relationships are healthy, even the ones we might think are. So I think this is a a great reminder, especially because we feel like, okay, I have children or my mother or whatever, where we have or we are supposed to have unconditional love. And this is a good reminder that although we we can use that to love freely without conditions, that um, we can't have underlying strings attached, which sometimes people do without even realizing that they're doing. And another thing that people do is they will have unconditional love, and then they interpret that as meaning love without boundaries. And so that means you can um, actually get yourself into what either can start as or what can turn into unhealthy situations, where then you're like, oh, well, I need to keep loving them. And then little do you know, you're like getting into this codependent love, or you're getting into this, like where you're, you're actually like the extreme version of that would be getting into an abusive relationship, emotionally abusive, physically abusive or whatever. So it can go way, way out of bounds. And so what this author, um, and she's a therapist herself, what she then proposes is that people think of it as wholehearted love. And then she defines the pieces of that. So in in terms of um, how you offer love, to, to pay attention to how you do that, um, to learn and accept and value influence from others, because a lot of the things with these unhealthy dynamics turn into power plays. And so she encourages that. Many other things. It's a really wonderful article on unconditional love. Wow. This sounds punny and cheesy, but I love that cool cheese. <laughs> yes. And I cannot wait to check it out. Yes. Yeah. It's super. It got me thinking yeah. about a lot of different things and so many people in my life and so many different kinds of things that can happen. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Emotions. And you've had a couple now in this, epi- yes. this uh, episode so far. But they're, yeah, they're super complex and people get really weird about them and we don't know a lot because they're not black and white and definable all the time. Yes. I'm glad that people are trying to talk about them and define them a little bit more. But love especially is probably the king of all the emotions that people have trouble with. Yes. So complicated. It's it's complicated, just like the status update (laughs) or whatever. But yeah, it's true. And yeah, people can't say I love you that often. It makes them feel weird because, oh, well, they it's just, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Now my, you know, it's yeah, it's very complex. And I'm really glad you brought that up. And I will definitely check that yeah, one out. Yeah, it is worth it. I keep a saying, read. I'm going to check these I out. Know. <laughs> this one. This one, I mean I it. I mean it, yeah. <laughs> it's no, like, I well, really do want to check that one out, especially. because uh, I and, and you'll have to check out the John Lennon Yoko Ono on love. Yes. On the blank. Oh, on yes. And see how yes. they do. Because, you know, their relationship in general had a lot of controversy around it. Of course, they right. did this... Uh, you know, protest about love and peace when they were in bed together, and and yeah, they had such a a, a relationship that they 
talked about being pure love and, mm-hmm. and healthy, but everybody else always viewed it as weird and and maybe they had it right the whole time. Of course, then when John Lennon was killed, it just made it bigger than, yes. than life itself. So anyway, super fascinating. Yeah. All right, my next cool sheet is going to be really hard to talk about in two minutes, so I'm stalling for some reason because that makes it better. <laughs> anyway, it's one of my biggest heroes of all time. This is a human, Marina Ambravovich. I talked about a documentary of hers. This is why I was looking on episode one. So the first episode, I talked about the documentary, The Artist is Present. Is present. And I can't believe I never actually dove deeper into her because she's amazing. She is a uh, Siberian performance artist, writer, uh, and art filmmaker. She specializes in body art, endurance art, feminist art. And she, in my opinion, is the ultimate performance artist. She does these amazing pieces of work throughout her lifetimes, decades of work. Uh, She uh, explores the relationship between the performer and the audience, the limits of the body and the possibilities of the mind. So a lot of the emotions and things that you've been talking about, also the, the strictly physical level. In episode one, I talked about where she was naked and people and had all these objects around her, including a gun, and people could do anything they want to her. It was fascinating, but uh, I want to talk about some of the different ones. So a lot of the times, uh, one of her performances... Uh, she's hanging by her arms, topless, hold, uh, above everyone, holding live snakes. Uh, a lot of them, she, uh, she's just sitting or standing motionless and silent for hours and hours and hours. Uh, the artist is present that is kind of like that one, only it's the eye contact super powerful one. She does a lot of partner performance pieces where they're face-to-face and screaming at each other at the top of their lungs. Uh, one where they're both naked in, in the middle of a doorway, and the people that enter the gallery have to go through them, through these two naked bodies. Super, super. One, the partner is uh, holding an, a bow and arrow, holding the bow all the way back, and it's right at her heart, and they just hold it there for I don't know how long. It's super freaky. It was just a still image. Anyway, check out Marina Ambrovich. I will love her. I can't believe I haven't looked at. I mean, I know artists is present. You yeah, have the loved documentary that is still on Netflix. I think streaming. Oh, so you should check it yes. out. She also has an institution. That where like one of the first exercises of the people that go there is she dumps out this giant uh, bowl of rice for each student. Each one gets this giant bowl and they have to count each grain of rice one at a time for the entire thing. And so they just for hours are just and doing it slowly, methodically in the moment, mindfulness exercise of counting each grain of rice and logging it. And the next one, and then log it with a little hash, you know. So That's it's intense. Like it's uh, like the thing she does, she's on another plane. Yeah, yeah. And she inspires everybody else. Like they all refer to her, all the greatest artists and creatives that know about mm-hmm. her draw inspiration from her. And she's still going, she still has performance pieces. 
She's just an amazing human being. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, do you know how many years she's been performing? At least like 30 or 40, okay. I think. Several decades Man. for sure. I mean, she's and, – and you can see the pieces. Like one, the one where she's just yelling at her partner face-to-face, you know, that was – you, 30 years ago or something Whoa. like that was one of her early pieces same one when they were naked in the door jam that was yeah. one of her earlier pieces so they were both really young she kind of had a life partner for a, for quite a while mm. they're since separated but they did a lot of those mm. performance pieces together and yeah a lot of them were super emotional definitely yeah, yeah. very dangerous sometimes she always pushed the limits and this is really cool that i didn't even get to talk about there she had a bunch of ideas that would got rejected by art galleries so they're like uh-huh you know so these are the things that they allow there's also tons oh, of ideas wow. and i forgot to even write them down i knew i wouldn't have time that they're like you can't do that <laughs> like no that's even too crazy. One of them was like, one of them was simple though. One of them was like, oh, I see why they didn't want to do this. The audience member would come in one at a time. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, and they'd have like 30 minutes. This would be a 30 minute participation uh, performance piece where they take off all of their clothes. This is the audience member, the uh-huh. person that came into the gallery, comes into a room where she is at. They take off all of their clothes, and she hand washes them in front of them, and then irons them and dry, you know dries them out and irons them in front of them while they're naked, mm-hmm. and then gives them back their clothes. And then that, and then the next person comes in and they get naked. <laughs> so the gallery didn't go for that, yeah. obviously, because of the nakedness. Right. Of the actual patron, then that would be a liability issue, I'm yeah, imagining, yeah. And, and a bunch of stuff. But it's such a, such a simple concept, I know. but also very uncomfortable, yeah, which makes you question yeah. why that makes us right. so uncomfortable, which, of course, is the, the point of her art all of the time. Mm-hmm. Ah, I just, I love her so much. And I'm so glad that Helen, actually, a good friend of mine, told me about her for the first time. So I was uh-huh. like you, and I was like... And I kind of was like, hey, yeah, okay, sure, I'm sure she's cool. And then as soon as I saw that documentary, it was game over. Wow. She's next level. Awesome. Okay, I will. Now this time I will <laughs> actually watch that documentary. It's been on my list forever, and then it got buried. Yes. It's also, I'm kind of tripping that you are referencing back, like we both referenced back to episode one today. Yeah. Yeah, Very that's wild weird. because I wasn't even going to do this cool sheet. This my five here was uh-huh. reserved for uh, Evergreen the episode oh, to take funny. the head, and I just decided to use it today. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, the world is crazy. It is. All right, my final cool sheet. I am going to be talking about a place, uh, destination, a location, and this is Union County, Oregon. This is a gem. Nobody ever visits there. This, um, you know, there are quite a few towns, but they're all quite small. The largest town in Union County is LaGrande, which is 13,000 people. And in 1974, it was 10,000 people. So it's really um, just not growing. It's pretty much stable uh, for many decades. So a lot of times uh, when people divvy up, Oregon. They call it Western Oregon and Eastern Oregon, pretty much. But this is a pocket in Northeastern Oregon that is really different from 
you know, a lot of it is drier and, and whatever, but this is quite isolated and it's up in more forested mountainous region with this huge expansive valley. So it is, um, it is small, especially if you um, look at all of the whole county, and um, it is very rural, but there are pockets of um, culture that are there. So Eastern Oregon University is the one rural university in the state system in Oregon. And so they have um, awesome theater there and musical performances. So in ter- terms of a cultural hub there, they definitely have some stuff. And there's this historic Elgin Opera House that is beautiful, just in the middle of nowhere is what it feels feels like. There are these old hot springs that are were haunted and someone got it and artists got it in 2003 and so they're revamping it. So that is super cool. And um, it is definitely a hub for any kind of um, outdoor stuff. So they have really great stores to rent stuff, get stuff. And there's this awesome 134 mile figure eight bike loop you can take around the whole Grand Ronde Valley that is there. It is beautiful. It is quiet. It is affordable. It is a gem in Oregon, Union County. Wow, that is cool. I've been to La Grande, I'm sure, or maybe drove by. <laughs> Definitely not places by. that I've stayed or visited long enough. And yeah, being a basically a lifetime Oregonian, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of embarrassing. But isn't it's always the kind of the way too of where you yeah. live. You don't explore it like a tourist. I know, uh, and and I try to do that more, but. Still, there are many places that I haven't been in my own backyard, so I have to check it out. Yes. Very cool. I like that bike loop. Wow, that would be fun. It's amazing. I've never, you know, for someone that bikes every single day, pretty much literally every day, even in the rain, like this morning, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't go on big, big, long bike rides. I just do these short Uh little spurts, you know, commuting and and travel from place to place, but I never go on, you know, at Minto, I go, of course, in the summertime, yeah. spend bike rides, but never 100 mile. I've never done a 50 mile or 100 mile ever. So anything like that, it's kind of, yeah, probably do that at some point. Yes. And fun fact, I grew up in Union County in uh, Grand Run yeah, Valley. That's right. That's right. And I think I that. yeah, and there is this hot, a different hot springs that I talked about that's connected to a pool and cove, uh, which is on the other end of the valley. Uh, okay. So I remember being 12 and my friends and I would ride our bikes over there and it was a 15 mile bike ride. So that day we would get 30 miles on our bike. But I don't remember really thinking we were just more excited to get to the pool and swim there all day. And I, I can't imagine sending my kids off to ride their bikes 15 miles across a valley to go have fun for the day without me. Like that's so such a trippy thing. Yeah. But it was like one of your, probably a cherished childhood memory. But oh, we yeah. Do, it is weird how we've changed in that. It's the whole letting your kids go yes. out and play. And yeah, I was totally unsupervised all day. Yeah. It was fine. <laughs> Just be home by whatever uh-huh. to eat. Uh-huh. Well, okay, cool. <laughs> What'd you do today? Ah, you know, run around. Yeah, I don't An know. idiot. <laughs> Caused a little trouble, not much, you know. <laughs> Fell down a few times, scraped my knee, whatever. Right. Got up, shook it off. I know. And yeah, you would never do that in a million years now. Most people. It's so different. It's wild. Okay, my last cool sheet. It's also a place. This is was my favorite place in London, and that's saying a lot because I liked a lot of places in London. This is Camden Market. This, uh, they describe it as a diverse community of creative sellers, street food, traders, independent stores next to the Regent's Canal, open every day. 
a thousand places to shop, eat, drink, and dance. Uh, and that's pretty accurate, but it does not – the scope and amazing spectacle of this is still – you can't even put it in words. You have to just experience it. Even when I told a friend – Camden was my favorite place, and I wrote all this information about it. And, you know, you just see it, and then you go there, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> if you like people watching and street food and culture of any sort, you will love this place. It is mind-boggling. And I only had a couple of hours to go there and experience it, and it was my biggest regret of my trip. Not that it's a huge regret. I'm really glad I got to spend that time, but I could have spent two days all day at this market. It, uh, so I'll be back for sure. Uh, a lot of places say uh, that it's the origin of punk rock in London, which is really cool. They started doing shows in the 60s, and then in the 1974, they added 16 stalls, and it was only open on Sundays. Like I said, now it's gigantic, and it's open every day. The shops and the food are amazing. That canal that just runs through all of the shops is amazing. You can take boat rides down there and they will give you history and sing and do fun things the food though is amazing oh my god i can't stop talking about the food it's like food trucks but they're more permanent and they some rotate but most of them and some of them are brick and mortar buildings little shops inside i can't talk about how good it is but they also have gin classes and dance lessons and glitter fest and cabarets and all kinds of different things camden market Oh, I want to go right now. It's, uh, it is the coolest spot in London for sure. It's my favorite, hands down. And there's a lot of cool things to see in London. But yeah. just, it was all of my favorite things in, in one this place. amazing, scenic uh. perfection of the canal. And, you know, the canal, of course, was very functional way back. It was how uh -huh. they got shipped goods in, into yeah. that area of London. And now it's just beautiful. It's just this amazing accessory, essentially. Yeah. There's oh, a bridge that goes over from one side of the market to the other around the canal. Uh, and the food. Did I mention how good the food is? <laughs> you haven't said anything about the food. The was food it good? <laughs> was pretty dang good. <laughs> I think I wow. gained 10 pounds. How did you not? In one, like, three hours. How did you eat or not eat? I mean, oh, you must it's, have. Well, it's it's actually funny because I went, and maybe this will be another cool sheet because it was my, maybe my second favorite place. But I went to Borough Market. I had more time. I think I had five hours, and I ate way more food there. I mm. literally ate until I was uncomfortable uh -huh. for the rest of the day. Wow. For like eight more hours, uh -huh. I could not hardly move oh, no. it was still so worth it <sighs> but i only actually got to eat at one place maybe two places at camden which in a couple hours is a lot but yeah i i there were samples you know they of course they give mm. you samples it's kind of like uh new york or those other bigger cities where they're kind of hustling for you yeah, too. Yeah. Like, oh, come here come here come here come here listen here try this try this okay how much you want to buy you know i was like oh, i just want to try it man i'm out of here see ya I'll yeah come, i'll come back i promise yeah Right. So you can get some samples of nice. things. And I got a lot of samples. Same thing in the shops. But I kind of like that when you, I guess when you don't live there, when you're visiting, same thing in the shops. Like the second I walked in, someone was like, oh, hey, well, hey, how's it going? 
man, what do you need? What do you need today? I can help you out. What do you, oh, you want a coat? Oh, you want a thing? I'm like, man, I'm just looking. Oh, okay. Well, let me know. What about this? I'm just looking. Oh, cool. Okay. I'll leave you alone. But, oh, hey, have you checked out the shoes? This would look good on you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so there is some of that if you're an introvert. Sometimes that gets a little much. But yeah. even though I'm introvert, extrovert, and sometimes it's overwhelming, they will back off after a while. I'm exaggerating just barely. <laughs> but they will back off and then you can just window shop and, and peruse around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's worth it because there's so many amazing things. Uh, it's uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah. Yeah, just depending on your mood, it can be fun just engaging yeah. with those. Like, Yeah, when you're on vacation, you're a little more adventurous. I think you're kind of looking to have a good time, you know, and out there. So anyway, I I really liked it for that specific yeah. time anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, great. That's it. All right. Fun show. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cool Sheets. You can find out more about all the cool sheets we listed by going to our website, coolsheets.cool, and looking for the links. That's coolsheets.cool. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave comments for us on Facebook or email us at info at coolsheets.cool. Bye.